Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. Amen. We are in a series, a summer-long series. We only have two weeks of it left. Um, but we're in a summer-long series called Family Talk. And um, I just want you to know today, I am incredibly thirsty. I don't know why. Um, like, my mouth is dry, and um, my palms are sweaty, knees weak, my arms are heavy. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but for some reason, so I, I drank my first drink, and Tiffany got me a, a drink from Sonic, a tea from Sonic, and so I poured that in here, and I, I've drank uh, quite a bit of it as well. So now my worry is not only the dry mouth, but I'm going to have to pee about halfway through the message. So um, anyway, we'll see how this goes today. It's going to be good. We, I just, I just want to be open with you all, okay? Um, just want to let you know everything that's going on in life. And, um, hmm. So uh, Tiffany and I went on sabbatical. Actually, it's been about a month now or almost a month. And um, traditionally in, in sabbatical, I say traditionally, we, this is the third year that we've done it. So the first two years, um, I was struggling just to keep my head above water. And I've talked about that in a lot of, a lot of cases, and we're not going to talk about that today necessarily. But, um, but I wasn't in a very good place. And, and, and I've struggled just to, to keep from drowning. And so sabbatical for me was a lifeline. And this year was different. This year, I was ready. I'm not saying that I'm perfect or have everything together, but, um, but I was ready. And um, there, was, there was one thing that I really needed um, some direction on from God. And um, so we wake up on Monday morning and, um, of sabbatical, the first day of sabbatical. I wake up and I throw headphones in, and the message that I listened to was right spot on with everything that I needed. And, and God downloaded that direction. So we got that out of the way. And uh, once that was done, then I was like, okay, um, God, what else do you have for me? And he just started pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. Even to the point that the message that I'm going to bring today, there's some stuff that I had been thinking about and praying about for a couple of years. And I didn't know, for one, I didn't know what to do with it. For two, I didn't know that I had the um, the the discipline or the maturity to deliver it and to deliver the heart of the Father. And if I can't deliver the heart of the Father, then I need to not open my mouth. And number three, I didn't know that I had the liberty uh, to bring it. I, God had not released me 
to share these things with anyone. And so during sabbatical, he opened up so much to me in, in this subject. And I said, God, if you want me to bring this, you're going to have to make it clear to me because I'm not going to bring something that doesn't represent your heart. And so I have to be ready and you have to be in it. There has to be the proper time, the proper place, the proper setting. You have to be in it. And so make it abundantly clear to me. And so I think it was actually good. I, so I had down um, that I was going to, in these two messages that I have this week and next week, I was going to preach something totally different. And um, God said, no, I want you to go ahead and bring this. So I did one, and I didn't do the other one. And then he's like, no, I want you to do both. So the others are going to have to wait, and we're going to talk about a subject um, called canceled church. Canceled church. And I want to ask you, as we dive into this, I want to ask you to give me a little latitude um, to speak today and to speak honestly and openly from my heart. Um, I, I want you to hear my heart as I speak this. I don't believe that, um, that the, the pulpit is a place for condemnation. We're going to talk about that today. Um, and... So, in fact, there's no room for condemnation. If Jesus said there's no condemnation, or Paul said there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, if he said it, then why should we be preaching condemnation? Um, so, I, I believe that Holy Spirit has given me words to say today, and, um, and I ask you to listen with an open heart. And the second thing that I ask is if you've got questions or anything like that about what we talk about today, let's have a conversation. Um, I'm going to do my absolute best um, to, to explain and to be responsible with the message, um, but this is family talk, and so we're going to talk like families, and we need to have some grace for families. Amen? Uh, amen? You guys are going to have to talk back to me a little bit today, if that's okay, too. Um, even if it's not, I don't believe uh, in a quiet church. Amen? Okay. Well, let's pray. Father God, we thank you today for your word. God, we thank you that it's spirit and life to us. God, we thank you that inside the pages of your word contains everything that we need for life and godliness. God, we pray today that as we open up, my heart is to rightly divide the word of truth. Today, we ask Holy Spirit to be the guide. It's not me, it's not us, it's Holy Spirit, it's not our agenda, but it's Holy Spirit that's the guide today. And so we open up to you, Holy Spirit, to do your work in this place, to speak to every heart and every life in this room and watching online today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. There's a new study, it was done by the Barna Research Group that says this, and they gave some old stats for context. The greatest generation, which is 1928 to 1946, 58% of the greatest generation regularly attended church. Um, boomers, 1946 to 1964, 32% regularly attended church. Gen X, 1965 to 1980. These are my parents' generation, and I don't, I don't know, well, boomers, Gen X, kind of right in there, and we've got some boomers in here, 
um, and we've got Gen Xers in here today. Gen Xers, 27% regularly attended church. Millennials, I was born right on the millennial line. 1981, that's when millennials started. 1981 to 1994, 18% of millennials regular church attendance. Um, this is just about 50 years removed from the greatest generation where 58% regularly attended church. 18% um, of millennials regularly attend church. There's millennials in this room today. Millennials represent 72 million Americans. 72 million Americans. Millennials are, uh, are the parents right now. We do have a few Gen Zers um, that are very young parents, but most are millennials, and we have a few, uh, a few Gen Xers that still have, no, I, yeah, I guess we do still have some Gen Xers that have kids at home. Um, Gen Z, these are our kids, Gen Z. My kids are both Gen Zers. 1995 to 2012, twice as likely to be atheist as any other generation before them. We don't have numbers on church attendance yet, but twice as likely to be atheist as any generation before them, and people are now calling this the first post-Christian generation in America. This represents 68 million Americans. And I have to tell you that these stats make me very emotional because we have done a disservice as the church to generations. And today we're going to talk about that disservice. And we're going to talk about what we do about it. And I can't speak for other churches, but as for me and my house. Amen? Yeah. This is family talk. And so we're going to talk like familia today. For many years I, I struggled with what to say about these subjects. And like I said, if... If I can't represent the heart of the Father, I would rather not speak at all. But when we look around, we see a moral decay in our country. There's no doubt about it. We see a moral decay, and it bothers us. It challenges us. Some have said, if you don't speak on these things, that your message is weak or that you're watering down the gospel. I don't think that that's true because I don't think that there are very many of us that have sought the heart of the Father. And if we can't speak the heart of the Father, I'll say it again and I'll say it until you're tired of hearing it. If you can't represent the heart of the Father with absolute certainty, keep your mouth shut. As minister of the gospel, I would rather the church shut up than to drive people away by misrepresenting the heart of God. And so I focused on what I knew for sure. I knew for sure Jesus Christ and him crucified. I know that for sure. 
And so I can speak that and I can represent the heart of the Father without any question in my mind. But it doesn't mean these other things don't need to be talked about. And like I said, I've written and I've written and I've written, but I didn't have freedom to release this because for one, I didn't, I wasn't in a place where I could represent God in this. I wasn't in a place where I could speak it without anger. I wasn't in a place where I could speak it without frustration. That's not our God. That's not our God. When we look around the world that we live in and the moral and the spiritual battle that we're waging, it's a struggle to know what to say. As people that have been recreated into the image of Christ, it burns us to our core when we see people we care about, when we see people that we love, when we see just people in general that are indulging in behaviors and attitudes and ideas that we know because our belief in the scripture will lead to their destruction. It hurts us. And so many times we're... When we are challenged with this and our message is silenced, we just scream louder. We just scream louder. But when we scream louder, we've taken what used to be a small fringe of radicals and we've made it mainstream Christianity. In doing so, we've become hateful in our words, we've become unmerciful in our actions, and we've driven people from the very thing we're begging them to run to. We've become canceled. The church, by and large, has become canceled. We've become fond of the saying, love the sinner, hate the sin. And we think that we're showing love by saying it, but the sinner has become self-identified with the behavior. And so when we say love the sinner, hate the sin, no matter what our intentions are, the person hearing that is saying, I must be identified with the sin, and so you must hate me. To make things worse, the enemy, Satan, the devil, the father of life, whatever you want to call him, the, the, the creator of evil, everything evil comes from him. Satan has convinced a generation that the thing that the church calls sin is an attack on the culture and individuality that they were created to be. Remember that all sin is just a perversion of a God idea. And so Satan has perverted that and convinced a generation that we're attacking who they were created to be. This is why these things are so delicate. This is why these things are, are, are so important for us to grab a hold of them and to really know what the heart of God is. So I've broken down the message of the church into three categories. We have outreach, we have the assembly, and we have discipleship. And there's three different messages. And when I say different messages, they're not contradictory of one another. They're building on one another. They're complementary of one another. There's three different messages that we are to bring to three different groups of people. Number one, the outreach. We have this idea 
many times of outreach that we go out to the sinner, we go out to the world, and our response needs to be to tell them how bad they are so that they'll run to Jesus. But I don't think you need to tell them how bad they are. I think you need to tell them how good God is. See, the thing is that if you tell them that God loves them and wants a relationship with them, that should be our only message. God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. Well, I'm gay. God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. Well, I have five babies for five different daddies. God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Well, I've cheated on my wife over and over again. God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. I'm transitioning right now. God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. This is our message. Well, well, what in the church? We've got to tell. We've got to tell them all these things. We've got to. Uh, how can you expect someone who doesn't know God to trust Him enough to obey Him? God loves you, and He wants to have a relationship with you. We have people coming into the church, and we expect them to live like disciples, but we discount the fact that they've already been discipled by the world. They go to church asking if you're going to be part of my tribe, not I want to be part of the kingdom. Are you going to accept me? Are you going to bring me in? Are you going to love me? Are you going to be a part? They've already been discipled. They don't come in saying, man, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Not on day one. Not on day one. They just need to know that Jesus loves them and he wants relationship with them. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 3, I'm getting ready to challenge your your theology right here if you're ready. You ready? Hold on. Hold on to your seat. The main reason I want want you to hold on to your seat is so you don't get up and buckle. If I had buckles, we'd be buckling right now. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that perilous times would come. Perilous times, challenging times, struggling times would come. But the Bible never tells us to try and stop them. Some would say that it does, but I challenge you to show me in the scripture where it says to try and stop it. It just says they're going to come. Perilous times are going to come. But we are told to preach the gospel. And so if I lash out at culture, it's a response out of fear and not of faith. And faith and fear can't coexist. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1, I think we have it up here. Romans 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. This is straight up, isn't it? 
He says, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, who you judge, those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? See, this is the point that we're despising the riches of his goodness. We're despising his forbearance. We're despising his long-suffering. Not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Don't discount. When we're looking around at people in the world, we need to stop Stop judging them according to a standard of perfection. We need to say, run to God. Because if we're judging them according to a standard of perfection, do you think that you're not judged by that same standard? And if you want that to be the standard, you better get ready. Because I don't think you're prepared for that. We're discounting God's goodness. I'll tell you this. There is not a person in this room that fully understands how good God is. There is not a person in this room that fully understands the forbearance of God, that fully understands the long-suffering of God. There is not a person who understands because I'm grateful that it came to me, but many times I don't think it should come to them because they're too bad. Oh, it was good for me. I thank God that when I was at my lowest, he picked me up out of the miry clay and he pulled me to his side. But when I look at somebody else, they better turn or they're going to be judged. Now, I'm not saying that that won't happen. What I'm saying is we don't understand where they're at and what their position is. We don't. We, don't, we will never understand. It's not our business. You shouldn't understand. That's them and God. And so I need to stop trying to figure that out, and I need to say, run to Jesus. Yes. Amen? Yes. Stop trying to figure it out. So in our representation to the world, the message is simple. God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. We should not expect anything more. Number two is the assembly. We have the assembly. We have the gathered church. This is where we come together in a building. We're a part of a community. This is the assembly. Our message to the assembly is Jesus was enough. Run as hard and as fast as you can to him. Jesus was enough. Run to him. You're like... Pastor Jason, you left out a whole lot of things you need to be talking about. Wait, I'm going to get to I'm going to get to the whole Bible. We're going to in a minute we're going to start in Genesis 1. We're going to read all the way to Revelation 21 or whatever. I'm going to preach the whole Bible today. And I, <laughs> we need to tell them that Jesus was enough. Run as hard and as fast as you can to him. You can't preach every message in church. What? What do you mean? Okay. Let's just, uh, let's just do a little math. I'm like a mathematician, okay? Those of you who know me, you know that that's not true. 
Not nearly. We get 52 Sundays a year. 52. 52 Sundays in a year. You ready for some more statistics? Because I love stats. The devout church member. This is the committed church member. The devout church member attends two to three church services per month. Two to three. These are Sundays. Two to three Sundays on average per month. The non-devout church member. I'm not trying to say who's who or whatever in this room, right? Judge for yourself. The non-devout church member attends once a month or less. That means for the devout church member, we just took that 52 Sundays down to between 24 and 36. And I'm not saying that with condemnation. I'm saying we got stuff sometimes, right? How many Sundays did you have to work or you get called into work? It doesn't mean you're any less committed. It's just the way it is. How many times did you go on a family vacation or the kids had something or what? Again, I'm not saying anything bad about any of those things. It's just the reality of where we're at. We sit in church, even the devout church members. Those are mostly those that are here. Here today between 24 and 36 Sundays per year. For the non-devout, you only have 12. 12 Sundays per year. Some criticize that the church doesn't preach the whole Bible, but in reality, even the most devout churchgoer is only hearing about 25 messages in a year. And if you preach for more than 40 minutes, we check out. We don't want any part of that. Right? You just can't preach it all. So we need a philosophy shift in the church. And I'm calling us today. We have calls to action today. This isn't just a message. I hope you didn't come just thinking you were going to sit, chill, hear the message, do a little little bit of singing, and then go home. Um, Start the barbecue or whatever it is. We need a philosophy shift. As the church, we're not called to topics. We're called to people. We're not called to topics. We're called to people. We must acknowledge the story above the talking point. We have to acknowledge the person above the agenda. Are you ready for this one? Hold on. Buckle that seatbelt again because I don't want anybody to walk out. But that's why things like abortion, LGBTQIA are not for the assembly. I didn't say we don't talk about them. I said they're not in the assembly. I want you to hear me out. Whole message, okay? Please hear me out in the whole message. But when we're trying to preach the Bible in 25 messages or 12 messages... How can we care for the person? It's not because we want to water down gospel. It's because these subjects have been so woven into our society, into our culture, that we can't represent the heart of the Father and care for people in 12 Sundays, 40 minutes each. So what do I do? I default to representing the heart of the Father. Because if I can't represent the heart of the Father, I'm going to drive people away. 
And so I have to represent. That's why I say run to Jesus. Because I could show you in the scripture, we could dig deep, but you're not ready for that yet. You just came in and said, God loves me. He wants to have a relationship with me. Tell me more about that. Okay, awesome. Here's what you need to do. Jesus Christ, he died for you, and he's enough for you. And so I don't know what your struggle is, but he's enough for that struggle. I know that for sure. So run to him. Run to him as hard as you can. Run to him as fast as you can. And when you run to Jesus, you're going to find answers. You're going to find hope. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you taste and see, you want more of him. And when you want more of him, you say, I don't want to just be in the assembly. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, then those things begin to change in you. Some would say that, oh, well, the Bible's black and white. And that's true for the things that you don't struggle with. But what sin are you rationalizing today? See, to me, maybe what you're struggling with is simple. To me, but the things that I've struggled with, I struggle with them because they're a part of my culture. I struggle with them because I've been discipled in it. I struggle with them because I've dealt with it for a lot of years. The reason why I struggle with these things is because it's been woven into who I am. And maybe that's simple for you, but it's hard for me. And when I come into this place, I need to know that I'm not going to be shattered. The assembly, and we must preach Jesus. Run to him. He's enough. Let's talk about discipleship. Let's talk about the disciple. Ultimately, we want disciples. Jesus preached to multitudes. He had some in the assembly. He had 12 disciples. He had 12 disciples. Not everybody wants to be a disciple. And Jesus loves the ones that don't want to be. And he'll still preach to them. But they're not going to go deeper. They're gonna, not going to experience everything that God has. Jesus has empowered you to live a better life. Some people would say, oh, brother, and I've heard, I've heard this before, and I've been told this over and over again. You need to preach more holiness. So let's talk about holiness. We're not going to shy away from anything today. Let's preach about holiness. Some would say we need to preach more holiness. I would say we need to live more holiness. I mean, it's not just a talking point. We need to be living more holiness. Holiness doesn't happen by sitting in a chair on Sunday morning. No matter how good the preaching is, holiness does not happen in your 24 or 12 or 36 or even 52 Sundays. It does not happen. Holiness is pruning. Holiness is painful. It's fought for over tears. It happens in Jesus' conversations on the back porch. It happens over dinner. That's where holiness happens. It happens in investing in one another. Disciples investing in disciples. That's where holiness happens. We expect to show up 12 Sundays a year and be holy. We expect to open up our phones and look at memes and our celebrity pastors and listen to elevation worship and there's nothing wrong with any of those things but it doesn't produce holiness. You should do all of those things but it doesn't produce holiness. Discipleship and holiness 
only comes through commitment and study of the Word of God. It's the only place it comes from. Commitment and study of the Word of God. One of our biggest problems that we have in the church that are driving people away is the loudest voices aren't disciples. They aren't speaking from the heart of the Father because they haven't been with Him. They're speaking from the heart of a TikTok clip mixed in with maybe a little bit of Newsmax and what the guys at work or the moms at the ball field were talking about. Maybe throw in a little YouTube conspiracy rabbit hole. And we're speaking on behalf of God. If the Bible is going to be our guide, we have to be committed to it for ourselves and stop preaching things that it doesn't say, stop doing things that it doesn't say to do, and stop speaking on, a, uh, on behalf of a God that we fabricated to fit our own agenda. I've become... I've become more bold with those that I have relationship with. And the reason I say it like that is because you only have the right to speak into so many people's lives. I mean, you showed up here, so, I mean, maybe you knew what you were in for, maybe you didn't, but maybe you'll come back and maybe you won't. But you only have a right to speak into so many people's lives. And there are some that I just don't have relationship with to be able to speak hard things into their life, and there's those that don't have that kind of relationship to speak hard things into my life. Doesn't mean I'm not friends with them or whatever, but we just don't, we're, we're not in that place. Some people we are, some people I am, some people I've given the right to come into my life, and I respect them on a level that they can challenge me, and some people not. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's a healthy thing. But for those that I have relationship with, I've been more bold lately in when they say something, say, show it to me in the Bible. Show it to me in the Bible. Because we have a whole lot of people that are saying a whole lot of things that just aren't Bible. And we're basing the way we're reacting to the world on something that is not Bible. It's not what the scripture says. The second thing that it does is it helps me because it was something that challenged me. I say, show it to me in the Bible. It's not out of arrogance. It's out of love. But when I have that relationship with somebody, we know that. And so when I say, show it to me in the scripture... Show, it's not because I'm saying you're wrong. Show me in the Bible and I'll show you you're wrong. You can't, can you? Can't show it to me. No. It's because I want them to grow and I want to grow. And so if they open up the scripture and they say it's right here, God's showing me a revelation. I'm like, praise God. Praise God. Because you're not just saying stuff. You studied stuff. And because of that, we can both grow. Amen? Are we challenging one another? Are we speaking to one another? Are we growing with one another? Are we discipling with one another? Praise God. Praise God. 
We've got a church that's reacting to the world based on the things that they've heard about the Bible, not the thing that they've seen and experienced through the Bible. Simply put, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. Now, this may challenge the religion on the inside of you, but real gospel is not preaching conviction and condemnation. And I fought over whether or not I was going to include that word conviction because I think that we can all agree that the scripture is, has not come for condemnation. The Bible says there's no condemnation in Christ. Jesus says, I did not come to condemn the world, but I came to save the world. But it is not about, the gospel is not about preaching conviction. And here's why. Here's why. The scripture tells us in the book of John that the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit has come. It's, I'm not telling you that there's no place for conviction. I'm telling you it's not your place. The Holy Spirit has come to convict the world. And see, the thing about it is the Holy Spirit is the one who searches the hearts. He knows exactly what the heart is saying. He knows the condition of the heart. And so he brings conviction in the perfect way. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction, it's not my job to preach conviction, and the Holy Spirit will not editorialize the Scripture. He only speaks what the Father says. I'm sorry, but if we're turning people away from God by our speaking then we're not speaking the heart of the Father. The quicker we can understand that we know in part and we see in part, the more success we will be in our mission of reaching the world. I know in part, I see in part. I don't know what's going on in the heart of a person. I don't know what their culture is. I don't know the walls that they have to break down. I just need to present a clear picture of Jesus to them. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. I know you've got struggles in your life. You've got the ones that I can see, but you've got the ones that I can't see, and I don't know what led you to this point to where you're at, where I see you right now, but he does, and he loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you and so we get them to come into the assembly and our job in the assembly is to love on them our job in the assembly is to say run to Jesus he's enough I don't know what you're hurting with today we could guess I could get I could look on the outside on the surface and I could guess what you're hurting with today but the truth is I don't know but he does the Holy Spirit knows, Jesus knows, God knows. He made provision in Christ on the cross for whatever that is. So run to him. Run to him. You don't need to run to me. Run to him. You don't need to run to the church. Run to him. You don't need to run to a picket sign or to a talking point. You need to run to him. And if you'll run to Jesus as fast as you can, then he'll heal you. Then he'll change you in a way that only he can. We want to talk about holiness. That's how holiness happens. Holiness won't happen until you understand that you need to be holy. It'll only happen when you understand that you need to be holy as he is holy. As familia, we have to change the way that we're doing church. I want to be very upfront in this place today 
And I'm not saying any of this to make you feel bad, but I told you I'm calling to action today. And so again, I hope you understand my heart when I say this, but as familia, we have to change the way we are doing church, and our response in the house a lot of times sucks. We have to do better. We have to do better. If you won't show joy in the house, how are you going to show it in the street? If you can't be thankful in the house, how are you going to be thankful in the street? If you won't be loud about Jesus in the house, how are we going to be loud in the street? If you won't support your brother in the house, how can we support our brother in the street? If you're critical in the house, how can you love in the street? As a local community of believers, as a local establishment of the church, we have to stop fighting with one another. We've got these little foxes that come in to spoil the vine, but you have a biblical obligation. Do you understand, as a follower of Jesus, we have a biblical obligation when we have a challenge or a struggle with one another to go and to have conversation about it and to resolve it. We have biblical obligation to do that. We want to talk about maturity. Church, let's be mature. Because when we're allowing things to come up and infighting to come up and we're allowing it to take hold, what are we doing? We're proving every person that says, oh, I don't want to be a part of the church because they're judgmental. Well, I don't want to be a part of the church because they're hypocrites. I don't want to be a part. We're proving all of them absolutely right. Why would they want to come? They have enough drama in their life. They don't need to be a part of a church that's got more drama than they've ever dealt with. We need to be a place of refuge. We need to be a house of refuge. It's the standard that we set. We are the standard setters for the world. This isn't your job. This isn't your kid's sports team where you think the other kid is getting more playing time because they're the coach's favorite. This is kingdom business. This is life and death. Stop the infighting among one another. A house divided against itself cannot stand. We can't be effective when we can't get our act together. We have to position ourselves to receive the broken. We have to position ourselves to receive. I can't make the broken come. But if I'm not positioned, God's not going to put somebody into a place where they're going to be further broken. He loves them. We have to position ourselves to receive the broken. I want broken people in this place. But in order for that to happen, we have to let them know that they won't be shattered. 
I want broken people. I want hurting people. I want womanizers in this place. I want liars in this place. I want manipulators in this place. I want people that are filled with hate in these chairs. I want LGBTQIA in these chairs. I want people that are Republicans. I want people that are Democrats. I want people that are independents to be in this house. I want people that are addicts to be in this house. I want depressed in this house. I want people that are angry in this house. I want married people in this house. I want divorced people in this house. I want single people in this house. I want baby mamas in this house and baby daddies in this house. I want everybody to come to the table and to sit in this house because this is a place of refuge. It's a place of strength. It's a place of hope. But we have to position ourselves to be the light of the world. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want them here because Jesus loves them. I want them here because I want to tell them that he wants to have a relationship with them. I want to tell them that he's enough for them. I want to tell them to run as hard and as fast as they can. But here's what I want. When we tell them how our marriages have been saved, when we tell them how Jesus healed us, when we tell them how we used to be filled with hate and we're not anymore. When we tell them the stories of how he's restored our relationships with our kids and with our spouses or how he healed our broken heart from the time that we were molested as a young child or when we tell them those stories, they want to be disciples. And we've got disciples of Jesus in this place that say, come and follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. We can't tell them to trust Jesus and then say, trust me. We can say, I trust Jesus, follow me. Follow me. Come with me. Hold my hand. I know it's scary. I know it's weird. I know it's uneasy. I know it's different than everything that you've ever done. And I know that you may make a mistake. And I know that when you walk in, you think you might be judged. And I'm just here to tell you, we've got other people in this room that are hurting too. And so you may be judged. But not by me. Not by me. Because that's not what we do. When they start running to Jesus... The Bible reveals to them the image of Christ in them. It reveals to them who they are. See, when they see themselves in comparison to Jesus, they understand and begin to ask, what can I do to be free? What can I do to be free? We have groups of disciples at this church that have been patiently waiting and fervently praying, they're ready and they're equipped for service to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And let's have some discipleship level change in your life. Relationship. It's relationship. Forming in people. I'm going to close with this today. We can go ahead and have the team come up. As we look around the world, 
We can be shaken by the things that we see. We can be shaken. Too many of us are shaking because we're terrified. And we don't realize that it's God that's doing the shaking. The Bible tells us in Haggai chapter 2, verse number 6. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it's a little while, but I will shake the heavens, and I'll shake the earth, and the sea, and the dry land, and I'm going to shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I'll fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord. And the glory of this latter temple will be greater than the glory of the former temple. And in this place, I'll give you peace, says the Lord of hosts. I know, <clears throat> I know that these things that we see going on in the world are disturbing. They're shaking us to our core. But we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken cannot be shaken see the things that that can be shaken are things that were created when we see trees and mountains and grass and flowers and <coughs> they're all things that can be shaken your old nature was created and so your old nature could be shaken. Man's systems, man's ideas, man's attitudes, man's governments, economy, they were all created. Your body was created. Your mind, your will, your emotions created. But let's bring this home. Your career created. Your relationship created. Your kids' activities created. Your hobbies created. And while there's nothing wrong with any of those things, in fact, God created those things. They've been corrupted by an enemy that seeks to destroy your life and manipulate the things that God created and use them for your destruction. But when the creation becomes bigger than the creator, your whole world can be shaken and broken down and destroyed when the creation is bigger than the creator. Where the economy is streets of gold is where we need to be. Amen? It's a kingdom that can't be shaken. See, it's not built on man's economy and the value of the dollar and the price of oil. It's not built on that. It's not built on where you get your paycheck every month. It's the streets are made out of gold. Amen? It's the economy that we've received. It's the kingdom that we've received. The gates are pearls in the kingdom that we've received. There's a mansion on every street in the kingdom that we've received. The principal drive is not getting a promotion in the kingdom. The principal drive is not fulfilling a sexual desire in the kingdom or making your kid the next LeBron or Tom Brady. That's not the drive in the kingdom or becoming TikTok famous or making America great again. But from the moment that you open your eyes, you commit your words, you commit your actions, you commit your career, your money, your relationship, your family, your government, to the purposes and the plans of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, it's a kingdom that can't be shaken. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And as for the church, the church of Jesus Christ, God wins. God wins. Spoiler, end of the book. God wins. Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself. What? A glorious church without spot meaning stain or wrinkle meaning drawn into itself or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish or without fault God wins and in the end the church is without stain in the end the church isn't us for and no more not drawn into itself without wrinkle and without blemish or no fault no fault in order to get there in order to be the church that God wants us to be we have to let go of ourselves and become about people to learn his love to change the narrative of the canceled church and to just go out and be Jesus. We just have to go out and to be Jesus. So my message to you today, if you don't know Jesus, it's God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And the way that you can get a relationship with God is by receiving Jesus. The Bible tells us this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What that means is that he was bringing us back into relationship. He was reconciling the world. If you've never received Jesus today, it's simple. I'd like to ask you just to pray a prayer with me. And because we're familia, we're brothers and sisters, I'd like to ask you to pray with me for the support of those who maybe haven't, don't know him. Just say this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose again. And I ask you to come into my life because I need you. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.